and God's heart is for you. His heart is for you. Heart for the one equals God loves me. And I should have asked him, did you preach out of John 4 last week, the Samaritan woman? And if you weren't here, then you can read John 4. And there's this beautiful story. I'm just going to tell you the story because it goes for quite a few verses. So I'm going to summarize the story. That Jesus and his disciples were on a journey. Now, they didn't have Uber back then. They didn't um, have a car, so they had to walk. And they were walking from uh, Judea to Galilee, and it was a a two-and-a-half-day walk. It was almost 100 kilometers. And I reckon in the Middle East that would be pretty hot. Hot. And so they're in the middle of this walk, and they actually walk through this country called Samaria. They're hot, they're bothered, they're tired. And so Jesus and the disciples stop at a well. And uh, simply because they needed to have a break. And Jesus, I'm not quite sure why, but he was good at delegating. And he said, okay, disciples, off you go. You go buy some food. So I don't know what sort of supermarkets or shops they have back then, but they went off to buy some food. And so he was left at the well and it was in the middle of the day. And he was on his own, but he wasn't on his own. There was this uh, woman who was also at the well. We don't know her name, but she was getting some water from the well. And Jesus made a choice to initiate a conversation. And I love this. I don't know about you, but when I'm tired and hot and bothered and pooped, the last thing I feel like doing is initiate a conversation with a stranger. Is anyone else like that? I'm, I'm actually quite melancholic by nature. And so my, my natural self is just to run away and hide, but not to say hi to a, a person I've never met. Now, let me just say a few things were revolutionary in this story. One is that Jesus chose to speak to, spoke to a woman because back in those days that was a little bit awkward and unconventional. But also the fact that they went through Samaria because the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. Not just a little bit, but there was high enmity. And so Jesus was talking to an enemy and he was also talking to a woman. And that is quite precious. Now, I'm not sure about you, but if I'm, if I'm sitting next, next to someone that might be someone I don't naturally fit with, I'm probably not also going to initiate a conversation naturally. But Jesus chose to be unnatural. He chose to get out of the comfort zone. And so while he has this conversation, he has this beautiful conversation where he discerns firstly just by his natural um, observations that this woman is drawing water at noon. And normally the women go and draw the water early in the morning. And so he discerns from that that she's probably ostracized uh, in society and is not coming at the normal time. But also he discerns by the Holy Spirit that she has had five husbands before. And he shares these things with her and has a conversation. He takes the conversation into a spiritual place and says that um, the, the deep darkness that's inside her soul can be healed by Jesus, can be filled by the water of Jesus. And I love this story because Jesus took time for the one. 
And I want to ask you today, it's a really good thing sometimes just to reflect, what has Jesus done for me? And I, as I prepared today, I, I reflected back when I was a teenager. I first met Jesus when I was 13. I put up my hand at a camp and I got saved. And primarily I got saved because I was, fear, I was actually really scared of dying. And I heard that if I had Jesus in my life, that I would have eternal life. And I went, yes, that's for me. And I asked Jesus into my life. But from the age of 13 to 18, I was a bit naughty. I was a bit rebellious. And I was a bit like, I want you, God, but I don't want you. Uh, and I kept going in and out of this walk with God. And I still remember I'd go back to these Christian camps. And there was um, probably two of them where I consciously remember saying, God, don't come anywhere near me. I want to be rebellious. I was the one that would go down to the lake and smoke by the, by the, by the edge of the lake. I'd run away sometimes. And, and I said, God, don't come, don't come near me. I'm on this camp to meet boys, but I don't really want to hear from you. And I did actually meet my husband at the camp. So there you go. Mission, mission granted. <laughs> but God pursued me. And I want to ask you, has God pursued you? Has he found you? Has he come running to you? Has he chased you down? Has he singled you out ever for a prophecy? Like, like, I, like I just gave one to Gordon and, and his wife. Sorry, I can't remember your name, sweetheart. <laughs> Cheryl. No, 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 not, not this Gordon. This Go Morgan. Sorry, Morgan. Too many names. It was Morgan. <laughs> sorry, Morgan. Got, and Kaylee. Thank you. Sorry, please. Um, that's bad. I should remember names. So <laughs> here we go. So Jesus knows, he cares, he's kind, he speaks, he acts, he loves. He loves you. And every now and then we need to just stop and be still and remember that. He loves you. You know, last week I heard Pastor Phil actually preach on this message. And he shared of the times, the time when he and Chris first got saved. And they were hippies when they were teenagers and how the church that he got saved in was full of people in their 80s. So just picture that, 80s, hippie, smoking pot, 18, <laughs> rebellious. But he said and he shared how much they loved Phil and Chris and how much Phil and Chris like lent in and just so appreciated the love and the kindness. And I remember when we first joined C3 Church and uh, we went to Pastor Greg and Julie French's. How many of you know Greg and Julie French? Um, we went to their connect group. We, we really didn't know many people and, and they so beautifully asked a couple in their connect group, hey, can you get these guys over for dinner? And uh, that was Narelle and Ottie. I still remember them and I still remember what they cooked. Chicken with a cream sauce. How about that? That was... 33 years ago, I can remember just the fact that Greg set it up that we would feel at home. And I think not only can we reflect on God's love for us, but also the significance of people loving us uh, is, is so important that, that we not only receive love, but recognize that we have the ability to love others and in loving others and including others in, in our life, 
that it actually welcomes people into the kingdom. And Jesus so beautifully did this. So let's take up the story now in John 4. This is after Jesus has had the conversation with this woman. So verse 27, remembering that the disciples have been out shopping. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? I like that. Disciples think, but they don't actually, they're a bit too non-courageous enough to ask. Then leaving her water jar, and I love this, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way, their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then the disciples said to each other, could someone have bought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish this work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. So last week, and really I'm just reiterating today, that God has a heart for the one. But today we're going to look at God has a heart for the many. But you can't talk about the many before you talk about the one. Because God does have a heart for the many, but it's because the many is made up of many ones. So I want to just pull out a few, few things from this, this passage here. The first is that Jesus speaks in analogies. He speaks actually in two analogies. And the first analogy is about food. Because remembering that the disciples have brought back food, they've got food in their arms, they've got lunch. They've bought, bought and, and Jesus says, looks at the food and says, no, I'm not hungry for that. Even though he probably was. But he says, no, that's not my prime uh, appetite in life. He says, my food is to do the will of God who sent me. And my food is all about connecting with others. He, I reckon he would say the most satisfying and um, sumptuous, is that a word? Sumptuous food and meal and banquet that he just had was because he just had that chat to that woman and saw a transformed life. And I'm not sure about you, but any interaction that I've ever had with someone where I've been able to bring God into the equation... I leave that um, interaction really satisfied. Like, oh, you know, there's purpose in that. There was, a, there was something really um, meaningful and encouraging in yourself when you're able to reach into someone else's life. And so the greatest food and feast we can have is to see people and care for people and, and help them to connect to God. Um, the second analogy that he uses is the harvest. And the harvest, you know, in those times they had, uh, I'm presuming wheat. I didn't actually, is it wheat? Wheat or barley. So I'm not, we, we drove through um, Western Australia for a holiday in uh, December, oh, sorry, January, and we saw wheat fields. And when you see a, a wheat field, it's like this. You, you just see for miles. And I believe the wheat field is symbolic of the crowd. It's symbolic of many, many people. 
And when you see from a distance the wheat field, you just see a mass of yellow. But what I think is really significant here is that Jesus didn't just see the whole wheat field, he would see one grain of wheat. And so it's the same with us. We can sometimes get overawed by the many, but we can just look at the one. And I've got a picture here of a crowd. Look at that. I'm trying to remember. We were, we were walking through um, Manly the other day. Who were we walking with? I was trying to remember. And, and the person we were with said, I can't believe how different everybody is. Like, look around. Just everybody's so different. Faces are different. Nationalities. But, you know, Jesus sees the whole crowd, but he sees the one. He sees the one. Everyone's important. So let's continue the next part of this story. We're going to continue on. It says here, after this woman went and told the people, this is what she said, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he be the Messiah? I like that. Could he be? It's like she, she threw out the challenge and the question, could he be? And then the story continues. It's actually got a heading in my Bible. Many Samaritans believe. And it says this, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them and he stayed two days. And listen to this. And because of his words, many more became believers. Many more became believers. Because of the one, many, the whole town, the whole town. I, I, you know, sometimes I think we've got to get excited that God is into the ones, but he's into the many. And the multiplication effect. And in the book of Acts, it was like one person got saved, but then there were added, added, multiplied, increased, that the many is actually important. So I want to throw out a question today. Let me throw out a question. If God has a heart for the many, what does this mean? If God has a heart for the many, what does this mean? And I'm going to answer that question in, in three points today. The first one, the first answer is, if God has a heart, God has a heart for groups of people. So he loves crowds, multitudes, communities, tribes, people groups, and races. In uh, Matthew 9, it says this, while he was on earth, this is what he did. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. Listen to this bit. When he saw the crowds... He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He saw the crowds, but then he turned to his disciples and said this, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. You know, Jesus had eyes to see the crowds, but he also had eyes to see the one. And he had eyes to see the spiritual reality of humanity. 
it actually says in this story that they were harassed and helpless. Uh, I'm not sure if you ever stop and look. How many of you just like to kind of sit every now and then? I'll just sit over here. It's a bit tricky to do that with a skirt on, but I'll go like that. You know, it might be at the shopping mall. Sometimes I just like to observe, sit. Maybe you like to go to football or go to the club and just look at people. Well, I think Jesus not only interacted, but I think he observed. And when he was in observation mode, he didn't see people that well together in life. It actually says they were harassed and helpless. And I think sometimes if we just stop and look, we don't actually see successful people all the time, you know, doing their job and raising... We actually, if we look into the very deep, deep and have spiritual eyes to see, I don't think things have really changed. I think we're probably still all harassed and helpless when we don't have God. In different versions, these words, harassed and helpless... Um, Sorry, in different versions, different words are used. They're weary, they're worn out, they're wandering, they're confused, they're distressed, they're dispirited, they're bewildered, they're troubled. And I think if we have a heart and carry God's heart, we'll also have God's eyes to see the true reality of humanity. And let me encourage you one day, just stop and look and say, God, give me your heart for the people around me. What's your heart? It's also good to recognise our own personal harvest fields. You know, Jesus saw the crowd, but then he turned to the disciples and said, look at the harvest, and you're a worker. So all of us here are actually workers. We're, none of us are not a worker. We're all a worker sent out into the harvest field. And sometimes we actually have to recognise afresh what our harvest field is. And I know Pat and I, we're always getting a little knock on the door by God. Open your eyes, look at the harvest field. Because it's pretty well where you are right now. It's your family, it's your friends, it's your workplace. It's not complicated. <laughs> it's your school, it's your university, it's your favourite cafe and the barista there. It's your local shop. It's your gym that you go to. This is our harvest field. You know, we have to take analogies like the harvest field into the here and now, the practical. And that whatever your sphere of places that you go, God has asked you, will you be a worker in those places? Will you be my representative? Will you do what I did and just have a chat? Just show some care. Have, have a little conversation and, and show some love. You know, we have seen lately our, uh, one of our harvest fields is actually our neighbours. And uh, for, we've been in the same house for 25 years and for 23 of those we've had the same neighbours. But sadly they sold their house. And it's now become an investment property for an interesting gentleman <laughs> who has converted the house into two two rental properties, and we've had many tenants coming through that house over the last couple of years. But we have found, and we pray, God lead whoever comes into that property, 
And we have found that just by reaching out, that has become one of our little harvest fields. We've had the new neighbours come over for an afternoon tea. We've had, um, we took a little welcome pack to one of the families that came in once with um, some barbecue. You know, I'm not good at cooking food. I find it hard enough to cook for us. But I can go and buy barbecue chicken and some salad and a bottle of wine, and I took it in as a welcome pack. And so we've, we've um, decided to make that a little harvest field. So let me pose the question again. If God has a heart for the many, what does this mean? The second thing it means is that God has a heart for the places where, where groups of people live. He has a heart for your home. Because you might live on your own, but generally there might be others in your home. He has a heart for suburbs. He has a heart for Penrith. He has a heart for neighbourhoods. He has a heart for villages, towns, regions, cities and nations. You know, I'd been a Christian for a, quite, a, quite a number of years and that was never a revelation to me. Pat and I actually went and lived for two years as missionaries in the Philippines. We lived in Cebu City and we started a church. When we came back, I heard about this course called Perspectives on World Missions and I went, oh, I think we need to do that course. So we went and did this course, and during the time of learning about world missions, I actually caught God's heart. And it's kind of ironical that we'd been missionaries in another country, but I'd never had this revelation. And the revelation was this, that God has a heart for cities. He has a heart for nations. Now, you and I sitting here, you might think, well, big whoop. But sometimes we just need to get the bigger picture <laughs> that it's not just about you and I. It's not even just about our family. It's about the cities. It's about nations that God has a heart to see whole cities saved and whole nations saved. And it's always been his heart. As soon as Adam and Eve, um, you know, they did their naughty thing and it separated, he said, I, I need to win people back one by one. One by one. And so he chose one man, Abraham. This is the revelation I learned doing this course. He chose one man, Abraham. From that one family came Isaac and Jacob, and he chose one nation, Israel. And out of that one man and that one nation, he was going to win back all people and all nations to him. And so he has a heart for nations. I had this incredible encounter once with God. I, I would say it was about, it was actually in 1998. That shows how long ago it was. I was in a, one of our conferences and the Holy Spirit was so, so, so real and very present. And I actually, it was a, a time where we just allowed the Holy Spirit to, to minister. And so I, I literally just put myself on the floor, I laid down on the floor. And I said, Holy Spirit, show me something. And we had just been given the Bible college, C3 college to lead. That's how far back it was. And we had that night before been given a prophecy from Pastor Phil that the college would impact nations. And so I was on the ground and I said to God, show me something about the nations. Show me something about the nations. And just simply because I was hungry and I asked, 
the Holy Spirit came and gave me an incredible vision. And I was caught up in this vision actually that night. And when I went to bed, I kept, I kept seeing this vision. And it was a vision of heaven. And it represents to me what Revelation talks about in heaven. And I think today what, what I just want to do is really expand our faith to see, wow, God is a big God and he sees nations. He loves the one, but he also has a, big, a bigness to him. And the picture I saw was an Olympic stadium. And the, the um, audience was not people, it was actually angels. It was this stadium was full of angels. It was like this just glow coming out. And then there was the throne of Jesus in the middle of the stadium. And you know how in the Olympics, the nations come in at the beginning, one by one? And that was what I saw, each nation coming in one by one and coming to present uh, before Jesus, the nation. And I was reminded of what it talks about in Revelations, that there would be nations in, in, uh, in heaven. God has a heart for you and I, but he also has a heart for Australia. He has a heart for Sydney. And it's this heart for Sydney that we, the reason why we changed our name three weeks ago, C3, what are we? SYD, that we are a church that has a heart for a city. And that because you are C3 SYD Penrith, that represents that we have a heart for the location of um, Penrith and each and every suburb that we're in. The third thing, if God has a heart for the many, what does this mean? He has a heart for your household and for families. And as I prepared today, I really just sensed that there's some families here today that need to know that. That he loves your family. Your family. Not just you, but he has an intent and a purpose and a calling, not just for you, but also for your children or your parents and your cousins and your extended family. I personally have just been reading the book of Acts in my, just in my own time and it's really shone out to me how there were moments where Peter and Paul impacted whole families, where Paul met this lady Lydia and they were having a prayer meeting by the river and Paul went back to his house, her house and the whole family was touched. I particularly love the story of Peter and Cornelius. And Peter was at that time just preaching to the Jews. But there was a call for Peter to preach to the Gentiles. And before Peter went out and preached in public to the Gentile people, God first called him to one family. He called him to Cornelius' family a Gentile, and he went, you know, Cornelius, it says, Cornelius knew that Peter was coming, so he gathered a whole lot of people into his, he gathered his family and friends into his home, and Peter came in, and that whole family got saved and baptized. And I just love this, that, that God has a heart for your family. 
And I want to ask you today, and, and you can respond in a moment to this. And I, 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 my sense is that there's a cry in some of your hearts for your family. You know, I've got unsaved members in my household that I am believing for. When Pat got saved, when he was a teenager, after that he saw his sister saved, his brother saved, and about 10 years after that his dad saved. And this beautiful domino effect of what God had done in Pat's life, he was able to share with his family. And so today, if you want to see salvation and reconciliation and redemption in your family, I'm believing that God can do something today. And we can have a moment when I finish and we can have a moment where, if you want to just see people standing on behalf of their whole family and believing something for their family today. I want to finish with this scripture. It's from the message. It says this. And I want you to catch the spirit of this scripture today. I love it. Matthew 5, 16. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. How about we just close our eyes? I'm going to read that scripture again and I want you to picture it for yourself. What does that look like for me? I love this word open. Open eyes, open hearts, open lives, open houses. Open to being uncomfortable. Open to connecting with someone that might be unfamiliar. Open to sharing what Jesus has done with someone else. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. You know, I 